Thank you for listening to Bellwether's Wednesday night service every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. sharp. Join us. join me in uh, prayer together. Dear Lord, how good it is to uh, be in your family and singing together. The way we will all one day just praise you um, together when we're all home. But tonight, uh, we think and believe there are people that need your love and they're here tonight. So I pray that they would see your love in a church family, uh, but more so they would see your love in Jesus and what he's done. And this walk that we begin uh, with Lent to the cross, and that the cross is about our debt being paid, that we stand before you and you see Jesus, and we are covered by him, and we're cleansed by him, and his love will never fail us. I pray that we would see it anew, that we'd see it each day. And I pray that uh, this would be a night where people can put some things to death and maybe start a new walk. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all again for being here tonight. Uh, again, this is uh, the beginning of Lent. Uh, and really, this service, Ash Wednesday and uh, what we call Maundy Thursday, or the Last Supper, are bookends to this season before Good Friday, and before Easter Sunday. But Lent is the 40 days that we literally are walking to the cross. And it's a time in church history when Christians really try to take time to look inside and say, what are some things that may need to be put to death in my life? Now that's sin, but that can come in the form of habits, or relationships, or changes. And so my hope for my life, and the life of this church is that we would use these 40 days to draw closer to Jesus, know what he's done, and put some things to death that are harming us, that are bringing us down. Y'all have taken a step by doing that just by being here tonight. And this is Ash Wednesday. And you may be asking, because some of you may not come from traditions that even do an Ash Wednesday service, you know, what, what's the Ash about? What's, you know, Ash Wednesday? Is it, are we going to get a mark on our forehead? Well, first, no. But Ash Wednesday... The reason the ash is there is two reasons. First, that we would realize that we are not just broken sinners, but we're mortal. Scripture says, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, all of us are, are moving uh, towards that time when we will meet the Lord, unless he comes before then. We are broken vessels, and we're moving towards death. So this is a night that we actually remember our mortality and our need for Christ and that this time on this earth is short and we need Jesus. But it's also, the ash is to remind us that there are things that need to be put to death and we can put them to death in the power of Christ. So it's like, you know, literal things that we want to burn and put them in ashes. So you're going to have an opportunity to do that tonight. Uh, it should be in your seats, a blank white card and a pen. 
And, I mean, you can get it now, and I'm saying this at the beginning, so you can be thinking, you probably walked past a fire. At the close of this service, we're going to have an opportunity, you're going to have an opportunity uh, to put something to death. And maybe it's not one thing, maybe it's many things. So I would ask that you would think and pray about, God, what is it in my life that needs to be put to death? What is it that needs to be ashes tonight that I can start anew? Uh, Maybe it is a change of a relationship. Maybe it is a habit. Uh, Maybe it is a way of life. But you're here tonight and you have a wonderful opportunity standing together as God's people under Jesus, looking at the cross, knowing what He's done, and saying, Jesus, I give this to you and I'm burning it. And by your power, you will cleanse me and you will fully put it to death. So be thinking about that. Be praying. And I have a scripture passage that I believe will help us in that. So if you have your Bibles or take a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is Paul writing to a church. Church like ours. But a church like every church that is drastically uh, messed up. What I like to say, and my wife says, you shouldn't say that, but I like, jacked up. A jacked up church. Like it's full of very explicit Sin. When I say explicit, I mean the greed, the lust, the pride, infighting. I mean, if you want to feel good about your church, just read First and Second Corinthians. So he is writing to them about how they should come to the Lord's table, what we're going to do here in a minute. And as we look at this, you know, I'm going to ask three questions, and it ties to what are some things that you might need to put to death? How do we see our church? How do we see communion? And how do we see ourselves? 1 Corinthians 11, and I'm going to begin verse 17, and I'll read a couple verses. But the first question is, how do you, how do we see our church? And that's this church, this is Bellwether. So Paul writes, he says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. Stop right there. Can you imagine that... He's saying that, like, when you come together for worship, like we're doing tonight, it's actually not for the better, it's worse when you come together. Like, when you gather to meet and to worship, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Verse 18, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I are many divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Here's why he's saying that. When the church at Corinth came together, there were divisions. There were factions. There were people actually using the Lord's Supper, and there was real wine, and they were getting wasted, getting drunk. There were rich people in this church that looked down on the poor folks. There were uh, different, different ethnic backgrounds, and they were divided. And there were literal factions about, well, I want this in our church, or I want that in our church. It was highly divided, and it was not in tune with the Holy Spirit. It was not united under Jesus at all. 
And so Paul is calling them out. He's saying, man, you mean you're, you're dishonoring our Lord. You're dishonoring the Lord's table. You're dishonoring the church. And so I ask you, how do you see your church? Now, I think we can say, you know, if we compared ourselves to Corinth, you're not coming to worship and, and getting wasted, or I hope you're not coming here and wasted, but we still want you to come, so even if you're wasted, please come. But we don't, I don't see a lot of that. Uh, I don't think there are like strong divisions and factions explicitly or externally in this church, but there could be internally. And here's what I ask of you. How do you see your church? Do you think of your church as, well, this is, this is what I want for my church? Or, or this is, and you can call it a faction, but, but this, this is my group, you know, this, this is my tribe, and this is kind of really my church. Or are we united as one church together? And what is interesting, and I didn't know this, but in my studies uh, before tonight, I found it out. Look at verse 19. Paul says, there must be factions among you. So he's saying, like, God allows factions in a church. There must be, look at this, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, the key word here is genuine. Now, we think genuine, and we think that's, that's a real person. You know, they're authentic, they're genuine, they're real. But the Greek word here is called dokinos. And I'm not giving a Greek lesson, but it means something different than we think of as genuine. It means tested and approved. And Paul is saying there are factions so that the genuine people, those who've been tested spiritually, those who've been approved by God, can be raised up. And I say that to y'all. It's like, we want genuine people here. And not in the real and authentic sense, but people who have gone through the fire and been tested. And some have gone through the fire. Some have gone through the fire here at Bellwether. Others in their life. But that they can be raised up. And people, y'all see them. It's like, yes, that is... He or she's been tested. They're standing strong. They, they represent something that... Maybe not everybody has, but that everybody wants. So I just I find that fascinating that he says there must be factions so the genuine, the tested and approved, would be recognized and raised up. How do you see your church? Tonight's a wonderful time to say, I want to be genuine. I've been tested. I want to stand up. I want to be for something more than a faction or a tribe or a desire a desire for this type of worship or a desire for this type of group or this type of mission, but Jesus' church, genuine, tested, approved. So maybe what you need to write <clears throat> is something that's like, I need, to, I need to give this up. This, this idea or this desire for my church, that it's selfish, that it's prideful. And Jesus, I just want what you want. Next is, how do you see Communion. Look at verse 23 through 26. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim 
the Lord's death until he comes. So I ask you, how do you see communion? And let me be honest, I haven't like preached or taught a lot about what communion means. I try to give kind of a mini-sermon every Sunday that we do it, but I probably need to even do it more, so this is why you're getting that. What does is, what is communion mean? And it begins with, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. What we're about to do with communion came directly from Jesus Christ. I'll just let that kind of sit on directly from Jesus. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but this is not a tradition. This is what we call a sacrament, a visual display of the work of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus has done, and it has been passed down across church history. But tonight, together as his family, we are, we're doing something that Jesus delivered to his church. And it says what it says on this baptismal, do this in remembrance of me. And often we think about communion, yeah, we do this and, and we remember, you know, we, we remember what, what Jesus has done. Yes, but more so. Look at this. Jesus said, my words are in red, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant. I want to take you back a little bit. We'll talk about this more the Thursday before Easter. But on that night, he said, this is the new covenant. And those men that were around that room, they got it because the old covenant, they remembered, was the Passover and Exodus. And if you remember the story of Moses, there was that night before they left, if you wanted your eldest child to be saved, you put the blood of the lamb on the door. And an angel of the Lord would pass by. And if the blood was there, the angel would pass by your house. And that child's life would be saved. And it was not. That angel took that child. And the Israelites would remember that old covenant in that the blood of the Lamb saved the people. The blood of the Lamb saved the people. On the night of the Last Supper, when they were gathered together, there was no lamb to eat. Jesus intentionally had no lamb because he was the lamb, the lamb of God. And he was saying, this is the new covenant that the blood I'm about to shed will save you, saves us, what we sang about. So he was beginning this new covenant. So when we say we do this in remembrance of me, it's not just like remembering Jesus, his miracles, his teachings, not even him as, you know, if we consider him, remember what he's done, his blood. Saves us. What we're about to do when we come. I don't know how you think of communion. If it is a rote deal. It is a tradition. It is something delivered to us by our Lord. Remember that my blood has saved you. Has saved you. And then verse 26. He says every time you do this. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I guarantee or, well, maybe not guarantee, but I, I, would, I would guesstimate that when you take communion, you probably don't think you're preaching a sermon. So I'm coming and taking communion. Paul says here, every time you take communion, you're proclaiming the Lord's death. Every time you come, we should become in faith. It should become saying, I'm proclaiming what Jesus has done. I'm proclaiming His blood saves. I'm proclaiming that the new covenant for nations, for all tribes, for all languages, that Jesus' blood saves. So when you come and take communion, as I hope you will, 
You're preaching a sermon with your walk, with your actions. How do you see communion? Do you see it that powerfully? Do you see it as that important? That's why we do it each and every Sunday. Because it is. It's the only thing we have outside of baptism. But it's the only thing we have. Jesus said, do this. Do this. And then last, how do you see yourself? And this actually ties to communion. It ties to coming to the Lord's table. How do you see yourself? Verse 27 through 32. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. How do you see yourself? It is is more important than any of us realize when we come to the Lord's table, when we share in the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, to examine ourselves examine our hearts. It's why we do it each and every Sunday. We say it is a response. This is not a, it's a response that you're coming forward and we want you to look into your hearts and say, what is it that needs to be put to death? It's not you've got that literal opportunity to burn it. What is it that needs to be put to death? Examine your hearts right now. What is it in your heart? It could be a, a bad relationship. It could be I have it. It could be a way of life. It could be many. What is it that is holding you back? What is it in your heart that says, this has to be put to death? Every time we come to the Lord's table, we should ask, how do we see ourselves? How does God see me? He sees us as his children, but he wants to come to us and say, God, I need help. I can't do it on my own. And this thing is holding me back. I give it to you. I give it to you. And with the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of his church through the Holy Spirit, those things can fully and totally be put to death. How do you see yourself? Examine, it says. Discern. Think. Think about, man, what, what is it in my life that needs to go? And look, it's painful. I'm not, I'm not here to say that that can be like a pleasant experience. Those, are, those can be painful to, to quit certain things, to give certain things up, to change it's painful. There is a, uh, a wonderful, I think it's a wonderful illustration. I heard it from a pastor up in Boston. Boston I mean, you know, we think we've had this, this horrible winter. And, you know, Boston, I remember one Memorial Day weekend, it snowed. I was like, good grief, I've got to get south. But, I mean, it is like, you know, 10 inches spring break is, is nothing. And everybody is waiting so expectantly for spring. And this pastor said, you know, we're waiting to see the green leaves and the blossoms and the trees you know, just become full again. He said, we probably don't realize that the first color of spring is not green. It's red. Let me translate that for you. The first color of new life is red, not green. Like, what does that mean? The first thing that happens before New life sometimes is, is pain. Sometimes it's is like bleeding. The first thing 
before we have new life was the blood of Christ. The first thing that happens before we can live in the new life, it may hurt a little bit. But what we can have faith in and what we can rejoice in is knowing the new life that is to come. So tonight, Ash Wednesday, is literally about giving things up, giving things to God, starting this walk, and it can be painful. The first color of spring is red, but what comes after is fruit and blossom and new life and good and resurrection and Jesus and life. So, how do you think of yourself? What is it that needs to be put to death? How do you see the Lord's Supper? How do you see Holy Communion? Is it just something you do or something you do on occasion or just something you hear tonight? Or you see it that, hey, I remember Jesus, that it was delivered to us, and we do it to remember that His blood, the red blood, saves us and brings new life. I pray we'd see it that way right now. I pray you're already examining your hearts and discerning, Jesus, show me what needs to be put to death. I pray we'd act. The simple action of taking the pen and that card and writing, I'm going to put this to death. Not for 40 days, forever, by the power of the church, in the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus' blood on the cross. And we're going to burn it. And those are going to be the ashes. But before we do that, it's important to know that we can't do it on our own. We're doing it in the power of Jesus. And we're going to take communion as a family, as Jesus' family. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to close in a prayer. Then Joseph's going to come up. And we're going to invite you to come take communion first. And then if you like, the altars are always open. If you need some time in prayer, we've got all the time in the world. Pray as long as you like, but really, and I'm, I'm begging you, think, examine your hearts. What do I need to put to... And it may not be one thing. You may have that whole card written out. It's cool. It's cool. I'll probably write a paragraph. And then, as the Lord leads you, go directly back. The fire is still burning. Go through those doors. Put it to ashes. And then we're going to come back, and we're going to worship together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray we'd see your church as something so special that you died for it. You died for us. You died for your church. And I pray that we, we would have more here that would say, I want to be genuine. I want to be seen as tested and approved. I pray we'd see this time, the Lord's Supper, as, and it is, it is what you have done for us. It is what saves us. We preach a sermon by coming and partaking of it. I pray we really see ourselves as that sinful, broken person saved by the blood of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit can put things that need to be put to death, to death. And we begin right now in the power of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.